0: Merry Christmas. Uh, Yes, uh, my daughter and I got a chance to make that video, and it's just so fun to see your kids, you know, grow up, and all the things that they can do, and the creative uh, minds that they have, and I loved particularly spending time working on that with her, because I love making room for my kids, and making space for the things that they love to do. Well, we've been in a series uh, this Advent, called Making Room, and we've been talking about how we can make room for different things. And so if you haven't been here, I want to give you a recap, kind of catch you up a little bit, and then we'll talk a little bit uh, about what we're talking about today. So week one, we talked about how we make room for God by waiting with hope. And then week two, we talked about this idea of we make room for God's power by embracing our own limitations, And then last week, we talked about how we make room for God's purposes by making room for each other. And all of those things have been about how we make room for Jesus during this Christmas season. But today, on Christmas Eve, we get to talk about how God goes out of his way to make room for us, particularly those of us who feel most excluded or marginalized in society. So let's talk a little bit about who Luke, the writer of our gospel story that we just listened to in the Lego uh, story, who he includes in his narrative, in his story. So we began our whole series with this guy named Zechariah, all right? And Zechariah received an announcement that his, he would bear a son, and that son would eventually become known as John the Baptist, And John the Baptist would prepare the way for Jesus. But Zechariah was this little-known priest. He was one among thousands of priests. And he lived kind of far away from the temple in the hill country, removed from the center of political and religious life. But Zechariah won the lottery for all the priests. He had the chance to go into the temple every day for this season where he would go in and take care of the incense in the holiest of holy places for all of Jewish life to represent all of Israel in this space. And while he was in that space, an angel of the Lord, Gabriel, came and talked to him. And he had a vision that he would bear a son, his wife Elizabeth and him, would bear a child. Even in their very old age, they were probably somewhere in their 60s. And while that was unfathomable, it didn't seem possible, it paled in comparison to what happened next in Luke's story. The next thing that happened is that the same angel Gabriel shows up in another person's life, the life of Mary. Now Mary is a teenager. So Of course, she didn't have very much social standing either, right, teenagers? And she lived far away from the center of religious life and political power. She lived in a town called Nazareth. And she wasn't a priest, and nor was her husband. In fact, she wasn't even married, but she was pledged to be married to this guy named Joseph. And Joseph was kind of an average run-of-the-mill guy. He's a carpenter, but an angel, the angel Gabriel shows up in her life and says, you're going to bear a child, even though you haven't been with Joseph. That's the G-rated version of how you make a kid for you kids out there. Well, when they finally got to Bethlehem, as we found out in Luke chapter 2, we see that there wasn't even, they didn't even have a high enough status to warrant being given a room or a bed by their family. That's the kind of social status that they have. But then Luke 2 uh, starts off with these really two powerful men Augustus, being one of the most powerful men in all of history, and Quirinius, the governor of Syria. And they're taking a census of the entire roman world because they want to find out just how powerful they actually are meanwhile god is at work among the ordinary people uh, and the powerless like mary and joseph and zechariah and as we find out here in luke chapter 2 among the shepherds those who god comes and brings another angel and the heavenly hosts to announce his arrival on earth. Now shepherds are considered to be among the lowest in all of society because they were unclean. And they were considered unclean because they spent a lot of time with animals. And anybody who knows animals or has an animal knows if you sort of leave an animal to their own devices, it's kind of unclean. So in Jewish society, that meant that they weren't able to socialize with the broader society. In fact, verse 8 even reminds us that they were living out in the fields, far away from society, rejected. And that meant that they were unable to worship at the temple because they couldn't go near. And it's to those people, the shepherds, to Mary and Joseph and Zechariah, that God chooses to reveal himself to, that he chooses to send a great company of heavenly hosts to announce his arrival on earth. Mary was, of course, the first to know, and then Joseph, and then now in Luke 2, the shepherds. And just like every time that an angel shows up, the people who experience that are terrified. But in verse 10, the angel says to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. This little segment of scripture to an ancient nearest person who's either reading this Or hearing this announcement, it's very clear that this is a proclamation of a new king. That word, good news, that the angel talks about is literally the word that they would use when a new king would come to town. They would go around, when a king conquered a territory, they would good news the people. They would go out and they would tell people like, hey, there's a new king in town. And, of course, the response was that they were supposed to celebrate because there's a new king in town. And in many ways, that's exactly what happened about 30 years prior to Jesus' birth. Caesar Augustus conquered Cleopatra at the Battle of Actium. And that ushered in about 200 years of what would become known and was known as the Pax Romana or the peace of Rome, which is pretty amazing, considering that up to that point, I mean, there were battles all over the place, and there was never peace. So quite miraculous. But when Luke announces this new king, makes this announcement that this baby is a new king, he wants us to know that there is a big difference between the kings of this world, like Augustus, and this new baby king, Jesus. Huge contrast. And verse 14 starts to help us pick up on this a little bit when the heavenly hosts announce peace, which suggests that maybe not everyone was experiencing peace under Augustus. So let's talk about the census for a little bit. A census had sinister implications in the ancient Near East world. It wasn't just about counting people to figure out how many there were or maybe what the population trends were. No, this was an inventory of all the wealth in the nation. So it was a count of the people. It was a count of the animals. It was a count of the crops so that they could tax the people to the maximum. Historian... Justo Gonzalez, church historian Justo Gonzalez has this to say, a census usually announced greater poverty and exploitation. And no doubt the shepherds would have been among those who were most exploited because they were already at the bottom. So the Pax Romana, or as some people called it, the Pax Augustus, well, it was a kingdom of peace through coercion you didn't want to mess with rome because everybody feared the roman military power but the kingdom of god is a little bit different you see the kingdom of god was a kingdom of shalom the hebrew word for shalom doesn't just mean an absence of conflict it also means goodness For all people. And so Jesus would come down to earth and he would show us how to live in right relationship with people and right relationship with God. And he would show us a kingdom of shalom, of goodness. And when the powers of this world saw that Jesus was gaining more and more followers because of his love and kindness and care for others, Well, they didn't like that. They were losing some of their power, and so they decided that they wanted to kill him. And Jesus would willingly lay down his life. But the gospel stories also tell us that that wasn't the end of the story. That God would raise Jesus up again from the dead, and that the powers of this world, that showed that the powers of this world could not overcome God. God. And if the powers of this world could not overcome Jesus, could not overcome God, then nothing could. And in fact, if we put our trust in Jesus, then nothing can come overcome the powers that we face. And when Jesus rose again from the dead, showing that he had overcome those powers, he now could set up his kingdom of peace and joy. That's what the angel, the heavenly host promise, peace and joy to the people. And Jesus offers that to us if we would choose to follow him. We'll experience that same kind of peace and joy. It's not a peace that's an absence of conflict or even a sense that we won't face trials and tribulations in this world. Scripture tells us if you follow Jesus, you will face trials and tribulations, but It is a peace that surpasses all understanding. When you choose to follow Jesus, you choose to give up your own rights for the sake of others. Those of us who follow Jesus choose to do that because we're following the example of Jesus. Jesus willingly laid down his life. And that's what the Christmas story is really all about that Jesus wanted to go out of his way to include those who feel most excluded, to include us. Because when you're excluded, it's hard to believe that anybody wants to include you. And so Jesus wants us to know that everyone is invited. Author and preacher Danielle Strickland writes it this way. She says, God goes out of his way to get in the way of the people most excluded. Author, John, uh, author and preacher John Ortberg writes this, Jesus consistently championed the excluded. His inclusion of women led to a community to which women flocked in disproportionate numbers. Slaves, up to a third of the ancient populations might wander into church fellowship and have a slave owner wash their feet rather than beat them. And one ancient text instructed bishops to not interrupt worship, to greet the wealthy attender, but to sit on the floor and welcome the poor. God extends his love to everyone especially those who are most excluded. And when the shepherds heard about that kind of good news, the kind of good news that would welcome them, well, they went and worshipped this new king. And when they left, they spread the word concerning all the things that had been told them. Meanwhile, Mary treasured up these things in her heart. And what I want for each of you this Christmas is to know that God loves you so much. God wants to invite you to be a part of his family. The invitation is open to all, particularly those of you who don't feel like you're welcome. You are welcome. And what God wants from us is pretty simple. He wants our worship. Well, actually, he wants your whole life. But here's the thing. God is not a God who is a God of coercion, like the kings and people of this world. God is a God of invitation. So the invitation is open. You can come into the family. Now, don't get me wrong. It will cost you your life. But with it comes the promise of peace and joy that surpasses all understanding on this world. And if you've never experienced that kind of peace and joy in your life, I want to invite you today to experience that, to invite Jesus into your life to follow him because that's where peace and joy are found. And if you need help with that, we would love to help you with that. That's why we are here as a church. And if you've already responded to the invitation would you keep responding every day for the rest of your life and then would you think about who else in your sphere or in your world needs to know about this invitation of god's love you see we started this church in the midst of a pandemic which was kind of crazy Because we think that most people don't know how much they're loved by God. And we want everybody, as many people as we can tell, to know the extravagant love of God, to know that God is going out of his way to make room for them, to make room for you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that the Christmas story is a reminder that you're always going out of your way, to meet us, to be with us, to love us. Thank you that you are not a God of coercion. You are a God of invitation, of love. You're always inviting us to draw closer and closer to you, to become more and more like you, being willing to lay down our lives as you lay down your life. Not out of any sense of you have to do this, but this sense of would you consider doing this so that you can experience, so we can experience the peace and joy that you promise. Amen.